And do you know how many people would probably like run away at the sight of dismembered legs? Yeah. Dude, there's a four foot bong and a bag of weed by your bed. <laughs> Jelly Wings, the parlor game for nerds, is nearing extinction. It's in my pod! It's in my pod! <laughs> I will find proof. <laughs> I am very easily startled, Mr. Finkerman. I don't know which regulation body would regulate the uh, penis ring that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I'm ready to remain conscious <laughs> as we report this Okay, show. hey, welcome to Medical Stuff. My name is Mark. Man, that workout yesterday really wiped me out. And you, uh, Frank, and you are <laughs> fucking over. No, no, no. No, I like this. Keep going. <laughs> and you're over there. You're Chris. Yeah, Frank, you worked out yesterday. Frank, how are you doing, man? <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. Um, <laughs> no, I'm doing, I'm doing great. I just wanted you to keep going with that screw up after my complete stumble uh, opening the last show. <laughs> oh, yeah, but the only difference is, is that I forgot my last name. I know, which I think is even better. <laughs> Hey, I got to tell you, I'm really stoked. Hey, I saw your dad yesterday, or uh, Friday. Really? How'd you see him? Uh, I went over to his house. Oh, well, that'll... <laughs> I, uh, I'm needing to set a post vice at the forge. Okay. And uh, we tried to dig through the packed gravel flooring, and mm-hmm. that was not going well with the shovel. And so I called your dad to see if you had a pick. And in your true dad fashion, he had two plus a pry bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. <laughs> And so uh, we were able to get the uh, base set for our uh, post vice. Right? And the, the funny thing about that is, not only does he have two like plus a pry bar, he has consistent. He's recently been downsizing his garage because they're getting oh, yeah. ready to move. And so, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, I got a um, large piece of burlwood burlwood for him from him also. Oh well, he had it in the corner, and I'm going to offer it to one of our uh, basics at work who does woodworking. And then if he doesn't work it, one it's probably going to end up his knife handles. Oh, nice. Way so, cool, man. Yeah. So, yeah, things are going well with Forge. So, speaking of workouts. Yeah. Something new that no, no, that's, that's all I got. Long time. I, actually, no, I, uh, if you recall correctly, because I've told you, I, I've started running every day again. Oh, that's true. You yeah. do have a, when I think of workouts, I think in the context of the show, I think of like weightlifting and stuff. Like oh, that. no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Not this, say, you know, the, not this girly. I've seen you run. You run like a girl. Yeah, like a like a really <laughs> fast girl. Um, so it's, and I don't mean fast like slutty. I mean fast like. <laughs> no, not an easy. Yeah. Person. Just you, you run very quickly. So uh, no, it, it's funny. I um so I start I started running in and then I, I I had like a just a physical recently, and my doc's like, okay, so uh, so when you're running, like, are you measuring? Like, look, 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 look. I am just running because I want my resting heart rate to be normal again. <laughs> I stepped into an ambulance the other day to throw a pull socks on just to show someone how it worked and did not like what I saw. <laughs> so, but I will say this. I, st- I started running in December, about middle, middle December and my resting like, and that was when I noticed like I put, I sat down and put the pull socks on and my resting heart rate was like 90. Now, given. Well, I, you, it, you, were, you just walked down and climbed into an ambulance. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, I, and I sat down for a little bit. It kind of went down to like 80s. But I'm used to being lower than that. And I recently went to the doctors. And if anyone has white coat fever, it's me. And white coat fever, by the way, is where your doctor goes to check on you. And, you know, your heart rate spikes. And so does your right. blood pressure because yeah. there's a doctor there. Right. And my resting heart rate or, and just walked in, sat down and 67. And so I'm happy. It's getting lower. Right. So anyway. Mine's, mine's around uh, right in the 60s. Oh, good. 
you know, been working out and all that kind of stuff. I work out. You know, so uh, today's episode is going to be about rhabdomyolysis. Ooh. Uh, This is a suggestion from a listener. Thank you very much. Again, I can be very poor getting their permission to use their name. Yeah. So thank you for sending that in, a random person we won't name. (laughs) And so... this person is an EMT uh, basic working in an ER, if I remember correctly, and they've recently had two cases that were connected to training. Yeah. And so, uh, rhabdomyolysis. Wait, like potty training? Yeah. Because I just finished potty training one of my kids. and Well, you better watch out for rhabdo, man. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. while they shit. Yeah, well. <laughs> it depends on how constipated they are, because if they're using a lot of muscle and the muscle effort to push it out. That could be a workout, man. Yeah, for a while. Yeah. yeah. You know. So. Uh, rhabdo, which I'm going to be calling it rhabdo for most of this show, uh, right. which because is we just we we're going to fall over rhabdo. I barely got my last name out, so <laughs> saying rhabdomyolysis over and over and over again is just not an option. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so rhabdo, it's a condition where damaged skeletal muscle breaks down uh, rapidly. So when you work out, a lot of people know this, but when you work out, part of that process is that muscle breaks down. And then when your body goes to repair that muscle, the muscle grows in size. And that's why you work out. Uh, if you do that too rapidly, though, you can get some symptoms like muscle pains, weakness, uh, vomiting and confusion. You'll have tea colored urine. So if you think about the color of tea, well, I guess it really depends on the tea, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're in rhabdo. Yeah, You'll if you this stuff. Yeah, and basically what it I mean, is just because you went and worked out yesterday and have muscle pains doesn't mean you're ramped. <laughs> no, no. In fact, muscle pains is soreness is normal after. But after one of the workout. funniest things I've ever seen. So we have a medic we worked with. Uh, worked uh, with his name is Don, uh, and he was a professional trainer. He did it for many years. He's an excellent trainer. I worked out with him. Uh, he came hobbling into the creek one day, and. I'm like, dude, are you okay? I thought maybe he'd like hurt himself on shift or yeah. something like that. He goes, no, my trainer yesterday, leg day. Yeah. <laughs> he goes hobbling by. I'm like, I feel a little bit better about my world now. Yeah. God, I, I, that is what I, and when I first got back into running, like, uh, the next day I was like going into work, it wasn't the next day, but then when I finally went back into work mm-hmm. and my legs are sore and you have to lift that first patient, you're like, Oh my God. And your partner's looking at you like, are you, this patient's not that heavy. And you're like, shut up, <laughs> just shut up. I don't do this often. Okay. Um, but yeah. And so the reason your urine is going to be tea colored is that it's going to have some byproduct of that muscular breakdown in it. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can also have an irregular heartbeat as right. well. Just remember your, uh, your heart works off of sodium and potassium. Those are common electrolytes that are found, uh, in your blood and working out can cause a substantial shift in those as well as the uh, muscular breakdown. So, so, so the history of it. Ooh. So the earliest account of rhabdo, they believe. Is in the Bible in Numbers eleven four through six and thirty one huh. through thirty three. Bro, dost thou even lift? <laughs> I'm sorry, brethren. I think I think I saw that on a meme somewhere. I can't take probably. Yeah, I will tell you right now, man. I am still getting laughs out of the uh, Hobbit joke you told us. <laughs> I still think about that and I'll start laughing to myself, which really makes my trainees a little bit nervous. But you know, uh, go back and listen to last week's episode if you want to hear that. It's pretty funny. <laughs> So, uh, the Pentateuch say that the Jews demanded meat while traveling in the desert and God sent quail in response to their complaints. Uh, people ate large quantities of quail meat. Uh, plague broke out, killing numerous people. Hmm. Uh, rhabdo, after consuming quail, was described in more recent times and called codernism after Coternix, the male, uh, male quail, the main quail genus. 
Oh. Uh, the reason this is ha- this happens is because migrating quail consume large amounts of hemlock, which is a known cause of rhabdo. What does hemlock cause rhabdo? Yeah. How? Well, yeah. How? Why? It's bad. <laughs> I didn't actually research into the reason why, reason why behind it, but uh, I can. <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm doing it right now. Are you? Uh, no, I didn't actually look into that side. I just thought it was very interesting that it would uh, kind of transfer straight through the quail into you if you eat large amounts of quail. It's actually pretty funny. The first thing I look up here under Wikipedia for rhabdomyolysis, it says hemlock may cause rhabdo, either directly or after eating quail. <laughs> See? Confirmation. Fair enough. Wiki- Wikipedia never lies, man. No, it can't. It is a solid source. <clears throat> so, uh, some of the signs and symptoms of rhabdo, depending on sever- severity and whether kidney fail- kidney fail- good lord, uh, whether kidney failure develops. Uh, mild reforms may not cause any muscle symptoms, and the diagnosis is based upon abnormal blood tests. In the context of other problems, you go into the doctor because you're having issues and they pull a blood test. Uh, more severe rhabdo is characterized by muscle pain, tenderness, weakness, swelling of the affected muscles. And if the swelling is very rapid, uh, as may happen after somebody who's released from a collapsed building or a crush injury of some form, mm-hmm. uh, the movement of the bloodstream into the damaged muscle may cause low blood pressure and shock. Yeah. And so the reason, and so this is actually something we'll, I'm going to talk a little bit about compartment syndrome. Uh, so as Mark mentioned, like if you get crushed under something, what will happen is you get like a tourniquet effect and you'll get a buildup because the metabolic process of, you know, waste being produced by cells keeps going, whether blood flows there or not. That's right. just going to keep going. In fact, you'll have cell- cellular breakdown occurring quicker because cells will be dying. Well, we, we <clears> talked <throat> about it with mass pants, why we stopped using mass pants. Right. Exactly. This is exactly what we were causing. It was still happening. Just no blood flow was going through to clean up that area. Yeah. Mass pants are basically pants you wear that are full of balloons. Well, you know, it's like you don't like go. You're not like, hmm, you wear my mask pants today. Uh, it's something that we put on people or used to put on people who were bleeding out, essentially. And it would basically squeeze blood from their lower extremities up. That's and, what they thought. Yeah, that's what they hoped would happen. And it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what ends up happening in these situations where you have this compression is the cellular death continues to go on and it just builds waste. Well, then all of a sudden you return that blood flow back to the rest of the system. And then all that waste, that muscular breakdown and specifically a lot of lactic acid as well. Um, but also one of the other waste products um, that's common in rhabdo and in this situation is the uh, protein myoglobin, which are actually very large molecules. And these will just flood right back into your system. And it can do a couple things. One, it can change the pH of your blood. And Mark and I have talked about the pH of your blood. You have 7.35 to 7.45. Very, very specific. You go outside that range, not good. Even a little bit. Uh, so we can change. it can change the pH of your blood, usually make it acidotic because of the lactic acid. And then it can harm your kidneys because that myoglobin protein or the protein myoglobin is a large molecule that'll work its way down to your kidneys like all blood does. And large molecules are damaging to your kidneys. Uh, our renal episode talks about how sugar is a really large molecule. All right. Maybe it's our diabetic episode. Well, go listen to both. And um, it talks about how sugar molecules are huge. And when those go through the kidneys in diabetics, it can destroy the kidneys on, on their way through. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Uh, swelling of the damaged muscle can cause, uh, occasionally leads to compartment syndrome. Uh, compression of the surrounding tissues is usually circumferential, circumferential, uh, such as nerves and blood vessels, uh, leading to the loss of blood supply or the loss of function in the parts of the body supplied by these structures. So if you get a crush injury, like on your upper arm, 
It can cause compartment syndrome in the upper part of your arm, thereby decreasing the blood, blood supply to the lower part of your arm. Uh, symptoms of this uh, complication include pain or reduced sensation to the affected limb. Uh, a second recognized complication is DIC or disseminated intravascular coagulation. So what happens is when you have uh, this compression and the lack of blood flow, uh, the blood in the veins will actually start to clot. And this can, once or, I mean, it may then increase the lack of blood to that area and uh, also can break off and cause uh, small heart attacks, you know, go to other parts of your body where they don't react well to clots. Such as the heart. The heart. The brain. Uh, the brain, uh, the lungs. The if lungs. they get big enough, they start collecting up. You can have a PE. <clears throat> it can cause a stroke. It can cause a heart attack. Yeah. PE is a pulmonary embolism, not physical education, as you might Good have point. thought. Because <laughs> I'm sure that was on everyone's mind. <laughs> Which would be a very interesting uh, spiral. Is there a gym if teacher in there? <laughs> well, no. If... Physical uh, physical exertion caused rhabdo, which caused compartment syndrome, which caused DIC, which caused physical education, which caused rhabdo. <laughs> 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 yeah, PE is going to be a pulmonary embolism. So, uh, what causes these things, Chris? What can cause rhabdo? Uh, well, as we kind of started off uh, talking about, it can be related to exercise. So extreme physical exercise, uh, particularly when poorly hydrated, um, can cause this. So there's a, there's quite a few exercise regimens out there that are pretty extreme. CrossFit's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got oh the P90X stuff where it's just constant go, 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 go. Right. If you're poorly hydrated going into that, that rapid muscle breakdown, you're going to cause that yourself. Or if you're um, if you you're not used to that level of exercise, if you build up to this in a in a legitimate way to the point where your body's able to take those exercises, that's something different. I think a lot of these come from people who either like first day, let's do this, you know, kind of mentality, or they really go off the deep end with it, even though they've been doing it for a while. I recently said, let's do this at the top of a mountain. Yeah, but you don't remember that. No, no. I remember saying, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and then how much of the day do you remember after that? Uh, about halfway through my second run on. Which, well, by the way, goes I completed the first run. And then I was so you, foggy for the rest of the day. <laughs> it was foggy outside or foggy in your brain? Hey, have, we, have we talked about this uh, in, in my brain? It was a very clear day. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought it was your first run that you took the header. It was. I remember uh-huh. halfway, which means that, yeah, I remember halfway through the second run. That's so Chris went snowboarding with Spencer, you know, Spence. Yep. Uh, and then, okay. Remind me, did you hit a tree or just hit the ground really hard? <clears throat> um, I was told that I uh, hit the ground really hard. Uh, so, well, but your helmet protected you, right? Um, <laughs> no. Did it come off? Mm, it didn't come on. That was the, uh, <laughs> That was the problem. Now, so, well, how, how did Spencer describe you going down the mountain? Uh, like a rag doll. Right. Yeah. He said. Now, uh, <laughs> now, did Spencer insist you get medical help? Um, I don't Maybe. know, but I'm going to say he didn't because we kept snowboarding. Um, and, and and went to the bar <laughs> and had <laughs> uh, some beers and some whiskey. <laughs> So extreme physical, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, so 
what had happened? I, I was we, we were snowboarding and um, I it's been it's been ten years since I'd been up on the mountain and I need to work on my heel edge, which is where you ride down on your heels. And I know I was doing that because uh, I remember thinking I need to work on my heels on the way down. And then apparently I caught an edge and just went forward. And Spence said, he goes, you just hit and you just ragdolled down with like your head just plowing snow in front of you. And he's like, and you didn't move for like probably five seconds. And uh, and when he went over and, and my hat and goggles just flew clean off. And um, he came over with my hat and goggles. He gave me my hat and I put that on right away. But he gave me my goggles and he goes, you looked legitimately confused as to what I handed you. <laughs> and then so I remember saying, let's do this at the top of the mountain. I remember uh, being in the middle of the mountain asking where we are. I remember being on the <clears throat> ski lift on the way back up. And then I remember about halfway through the second run. And then uh, the third run, we went and got drinks. But anyway. So is this your first concussion? I don't think it's relevant. <laughs> well, no, I mean, multiple, you've had multiple concussions yeah, in your I life. I think it's like six or seven now. And, and we did a show about concussions. And what can happen with multiple concussions, right? Now, you're not a professional wrestler taking a chair to the back, a metal chair to the back of the head. I understand. No, but I'll probably still murder my wife. Sorry, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris, we all know she's going to get you first. That's true. Anyway, yeah. all right. That, that, that's a, sorry, that's a digression. Go listen to our head trauma or our traumatic brain injury episode. Right. And, um, but yeah. Well, we talk about exercise related and we think about like CrossFit, what we were talking about. Right? Yeah. Yep. But also uh, delirium tremens for ex- uh, for an extended period of time, which is comes from alcohol withdrawals. Right. Uh, tetanus, where you uh, is also used to be called lockjaw, where your muscles can lock up, mm-hmm. and they're uh, in a constant state of tetany. Yeah. Uh, prolonged seizures or status epilepticus can cause rhabdo. Yeah, and so all so delirium tremens, tetanus, prolonged seizures, and status epilepticus, all those cause extreme persistent muscular movement. Um, delirium tremens, there's shaking associated with that. Tetanus, you have a locked jaw. Prolonged seizures and status epilepticus. I would hope I don't have to explain where the muscle movement comes in those. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you have this prolonged mus- muscular activity that can cause uh, rapid breakdown of the muscular tissue. Uh, crush injuries. We've already kind of gone over the crush injuries and how they cause rhabdo. Right. Uh, but also you get from uh, blast injuries, physical torture or abuse. Or, and this is what I thought was interesting under this was confinement in a fixed position, like after a stroke. Oh. Or if you um, are intoxicated and don't move for many, many hours uh, or prolonged surgery or in a prolonged surgery where you just not moved around. So this is just like basically you have compression on one side of your body that never lets up. Right. Interesting. That is that is an you interesting. Know. Yeah, I, well, I get it. But, I, but you also, yeah, you get that you get that crush effect where you're not getting adequate blood supply. I mean. We've seen plenty of patients like in nursing homes or something like that that end up with decubitus ulcers because of this. But if it's uh, severe enough, you can you can also get rhabdo off of it. Wow. Yeah. So, metabolism. Yeah. Love metabolism. <laughs> it's my favorite. I'm a fan. Right. So, um... I was actually going to go metabolizing tomorrow. Do you want to go? <laughs> oh, I had a lady the other day who was uh, hi- had uh, was hyperglycemic, and she got combative and urinated all over the place, but had to stop the rig on Highway 26, and my partner and I could four-point restrain her. She was biting. She was scratching. 
But with uh, in meta- uh, metabolic states such as hyperglycemic hyperosmolar states, uh, hyper or hyponatremia, elevator to reduce blood sodium levels, hypokalemia, which is low blood uh, low blood potassium, hypocalcemia, which is low calcium, and oh good god, <laughs> hypophosphatemia. Hypophosphatemia. Sure, low phosphate levels. Uh, <laughs> Ketoacidosis, such as diabetic ketoacidosis or hypothyroidism, uh, which would be an abnormally low, low thyroid function. Now, I wonder if the keto diet is putting people at additional risk for rhabdo. I, I would think so. I mean, it's a little bit more of a controlled keto, uh, ketoacidosis, but I mean, it's just you're kind of at the low ends of it. But if you got somebody who was really into this and really committed to it overly in an extreme manner. Yeah, I don't see why not. No. Huh. Um, you can also get it from drugs and toxins. Uh, poisons linked to rhabdos are like heavy metals. I'm not talking about Metallica or ACDC. We're talking like mercuries and things like that. Venomums from venomums? Venomums. Yeah, McVenomums. <laughs> I was thinking more like vitamins. There you go. I take a uh, daily venom. Hello? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading on a little bit. Uh, <laughs> venom from insects or snakes. Uh, Do we ever find anything about the hemlock? Why it causes? No, no. Tell you what, keep keep going. I'll I'm I'm gonna look into that. Uh, Rhabdomyosis can also uh, come from uh, ingesting mushrooms, including Russula subnegricans, subnegricans, and uh, Trichloma equestrate. You can also get uh, rhabdomyolysis from uh, half disease. H a f f half. Is uh come from consuming fish, even if it's fully cooked. This was uh, Hoff disease. Is the exact nature of the poison is still unclear, but in the U.S. outbreak, uh, the source of the fish was tracked by the uh, CDC, and studies of other fish in the same source showed a hexene soluble, uh, a non uh, and hence nonpolar lipid. Uh, substance that included similar symptoms in mice. So they're not really sure what causes or what the uh, the pathophysiology that is, but apparently it comes from the, the commonality was this hexene-soluble substance. So uh, drug use, including too much alcohol, uh, amphetamines, methamphetamines, cocaine, heroin, ketamine, and MDMA. MDMA is uh, linked to this pretty dramatically. It's... Uh, we don't see as much about it in the news these days, but back when raves were all the thing, uh, people would get there, they would take ecstasy, and they would dance and dance and dance, and the, because of they were high on the MDMA, they never thought to stop and drink water and cool off. And actually, hyper or hypothermia can also cause rhabdomyolysis. Oh, boy. Uh, so you have the drug in your body. You're in a situation where it's uh, usually inside a building where everybody's dancing. So you have the increased heat in there. So you have the hyperthermia. You have the not stopping and resting. So you have the extreme muscle use. And then you're sweating the entire time and you don't know to stop and get some water. So you have um, the lack of hydration. And so these people would literally dance until they dropped. And many people died. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so hemlock. <laughs> yes. Found a little bit on it. Not a whole lot. Uh, first of all, I also want to point that over the last 10 years, there's not been a single death reported from, he- from hemlock ingestion in the United States. 
Oh, well, go yeah. us. Yeah, so, but, I mean, it's... Well, isn't Hemlock what uh, um, Socrates drank that killed him? So, I guess probably he died from rhabdomyolysis. Uh, well, you, so you can actually... So, hemlock poisoning is actually... Its primary toxic effect is actually a neurotoxin. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the side effects is that is apparently it causes the breakdown... It causes the release of myoglobin from muscles. I can't find out why, but it's mm-hmm. that myoglobin that we talked about that causes the rhabdomyolysis. Goddamn myoglobin. Fucking A. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just basically it. causes a rapid breakdown of muscle <laughs> tissue, which then causes kidney failure. Um, however, most people who die of hemlock poisoning actually... Nowadays, anyway, uh, in the world, uh, die of respiratory paralysis that occurs from the neurotoxin that's present, hmm. not from the rhabdo. Huh. Uh, so while you may get rhabdo these days, it very unlikely well, neuro- be fatal. The neurotoxin. Well, that and the, if you if you ingested hemlock, it seems like the neurotoxin probably works quick more quickly than the rhabdo would. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You ever see a movie called Real Genius? Is it about me? No. Uh, <laughs> you said that pretty definitively. Uh, <laughs> fairly quickly, too. You know, uh, there was no hesitation there. It hurts my feelings a little. But... <laughs> well, the reason I bring it up, other than, you know, hurting Chris's feelings. At least you didn't is, just say, uh, fuck, now," <laughs> <laughs> Or just laugh straight up like I thought you were kidding. Yeah. Um, was the main character has a line in there where he says, I was just sitting here porter, uh, pondering the immortal words of Socrates. And he said, I drank what? <laughs> so, uh, also, uh, you can get rhabdo from infections. Uh, Coxsackie virus. Ooh. I know. Uh, influenza A, influenza B, Epstein Barr virus, primary HIV infection, Plasmodium falciparum, which is malaria. Uh, the herpes virus. I'm glad you went for the full name on that. I would have stopped at malaria. I'm like, well, I can pronounce <laughs> that. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, the Legionella pneumophilia hmm. and Salmonella are all infections that can cause rhabdomyolysis on top of any other problems they cause. You know, it, that is, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Damn. Yeah. So. Should I break down the mechanism? Do it, man. Break All it right. down. So uh, we've alluded to some of this earlier, but now to, to finally to, to lay it out there, uh, damage to skeletal muscle takes a lot of different forms. So we've talked about crush injuries and other physical injuries can cause damage to muscle cells uh, it, directly, or we can interfere with the blood supply to the muscles, which, again, the waste product is still going to build up. Then uh, there's non-physical causes that interfere with muscle cell metabolism. And that's when we're talking about things like uh, infections or diseases that Mark just mentioned that can mess with this. So when damaged, muscle tissue is going to rapidly fill with fluid from the bloodstream, and that includes sodium ions. So the swelling itself uh, may lead to the destruction of the muscle cells, but those cells that survive are then subject to various disruptions that lead to a rise in intracellular calcium ions. The accumulation of calcium outside of the sarcoplasmic reticulum leads to continuous muscle contraction and the depletion of ATP. It's a aden- that's uh, ATP by the way is adenosine triphosphate. That's kind of the energy currency of the body. If you want it's uh, formed by uh, combining glucose and oxygen, right? Yeah. And basically if you want a metabolic process to occur in the body, y'all need some ATP to be there. Uh, ATP depletion can then itself lead to an uncontrolled calcium influx. Uh, the persistent contraction of the muscle cell leads to the breakdown of intercellular proteins and the disintegration of the cell. 
Well, now that we have the neutrophil granulocytes, the most abundant type of white blood cell entering the muscle, muscle tissue, producing an inflammatory reaction and releasing reactive oxygen species. Oxygen species? There's different species of oxygen? Um, yeah, I read up on it really quick. Or are they species of things that are reactive to oxygen? Reactive oxygen species are chemically reactive chemical species containing oxygen, such as mm. peroxide, superoxide, hydroxyl radicals, uh, singlet oxygen, and alpha oxygen. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So, um, but it's going to cause it's going to cause them to relate release that back into the bloodstream. Then the swollen, inflamed muscle may directly compress the structures in the same fascial compartment, causing compartment syndrome. Uh, the swelling may also further compromise blood supply in the area, further destroying the muscles, releasing potassium ions, phosphate ions, the heme-containing protein myoglobin. Yeah. Hmm. And, and creatine. Uh, right. Creatine. Yeah, yeah creatine kinase. Hmm. Not any relationship to Greg Kinnear. Who's Greg Kinnear? He's an actor. Good Lord. What? I don't know. Is he an old guy? <laughs> You know what's great? You're now an old guy. I know. And that suck. <laughs> but then you can also get your uh, acid in the blood. <laughs> but you were talking about earlier about the uh, disruption in the heart rhythm. Right. Yes. Uh, that comes from the high potassium levels that have been released into the bloodstream. Right. Because we. Uh, yeah. Well, because talked about, so your heart uses something called a sodium potassium pump. That's how the cells contract. And so you have sodium on one side of the pump, potassium on the other side of the pump. And if levels of sodium or potassium change drastically in either way, the pump does not work as well. The sodium potassium pump does not work as well. Ergo, you get dysrhythmias. Right. And then one of the most common, uh, I guess not one of the most common, but one of the uh, harshest dysrhythmia would be an R on T syndrome. Right. So R on T is a cool little syndrome. Well, it's not cool. It's fatal, but um, <laughs> it's cool to talk about. So R on T, the R and the T we're talking about there. Whoops. Bump my mic. The R and the T we're talking about there. What was that? Fuck you. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that, Chris? Nothing. We're talking about R on T. That was not my cell phone in the background. <laughs> Only reason I thought about it was because I was like, oh, shit, I forgot to turn my cell phone down. <laughs> <laughs> so R on T, what we're talking about is, so when you look at an EKG, the little bump at the front is called a P wave, and then you have something called the QRS complex, and then you have a T wave. So that big spike is the QRS with the R being at the top. That's the the tallest point. And the T is this is the bump after that so the qrs complex that's the ventricles the lower half of the heart squeezing and the t wave after that is the ventricles relaxing to put it very simply so r on t is a phenomenon where essentially you get a ventricular contraction halfway through ventricular relaxation and so that's an r wave on top of a t wave and, and it makes shit wonky. Yeah, because the bad part is you end up with some of your ventricular cells contracting, some of your ventricular cells not contracting, when they all need to be contracting at the same time. And what this results in is something called ventricular fibrillation. Often it can result in ventricular fibrillation, which is where the lower half of the heart just does a useless little wiggle, uh, much like what your dad and your mom do now. And it just <laughs> won't pump blood uh, anywhere worth... Uh, <laughs> Anywhere worth big. And it's essentially. 
I mean, it's traumatized like all over. They <laughs> <laughs> pop that mental image in their head. I don't know. After last week, our numbers just seem to be dumping. I don't understand what or increasing. Is. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, essentially, what happens is uh, you're essentially dead at that point. CPR needs to be done, and we need to shock you uh, if you're in that rhythm because that that is a coded dead non-perfusing rhythm. Your heart might as well be stopped. Right. Well, that's where we shock, right? You said. Yep. Yep. And why are we trying? We're shocking it to stop the heart. To restart it, because this is a pet peeve of mine, and I think yours too, Chris. Yeah. We do not shake shock flatline. No, we don't. Uh, we're not trying to jumpstart the heart. <laughs> not for a good reason. Right. Um, but we're not trying to jumpstart the heart when we shock a patient. No, we're literally trying to stop it from wiggling, because it's right. doing that, that wiggle. And then basically what we're doing is we're taking every single one of those cells, giving them a big hard squeeze all at the same time, saying, knock it off. And now they're all, hopefully, there's a pacemaker still in the heart. And go to our cardiology um, episode to learn more about that. Hopefully, there's still a working pacemaker in the, in the heart that once we stop all those cells at the same time, they all then start back up at the same time as well. So, um, also, what can happen is uh, phosphate binds to the calcium in the circul- from the circulation, leading to low calcium levels in the blood. No, that's no so. good. Uh, you mentioned earlier, rhabdo can cause uh, kidney failure. Yes. Uh, the most prominent mechanism of this is the accumulation of myoglobin in the kidney tubules, the little mesh kind of uh, product that is your kidneys that everything filters through. Normally, the uh, blood protein haptoglobin binds t- uh, to circulating myoglobin, but in rhabdomyolysis, basically, the uh, myoglobin exceeds the capacity of the haptoglobin. So it just overwhelms it. And then, yeah, you start doing that damage, which we went over in our renal episode. You know, you, you do the damage that can cause hypertension, which can do more damage to your kidneys. And you just keep continuing down that path yeah. until you're finally in uh, renal insufficiency or renal failure. Ugh. Yeah. So um, treatments. How oh, do you yeah. treat this? Uh, so the main goal of treatment is to treat shock. And preserve kidney function. Uh, so we talked about, uh, we do have a, a shock episode out there uh, as well. But um, one of the things that we're really worried about when it comes to uh, rhabdomyolysis is going to be shock. So initially, this is going to be done uh, through the administration of generous amounts of IV fluids, usually saline. Um Saline is pretty common fluid. Uh, in victims of crush syndrome, it's recommended to administer IV fluids even before they are extracted from collapsed structure. So one of the things, and let's see if you if it's in there. No, it's not. Uh, so perfect. So um, a lot of times, what we'll do. So I already talked about how, or we already talked about how, when someone is crushed or entrapped, like say in a car, and <laughs> well. We're talking about I mean, that might be occurring crushed? too, but I'm more talking like physically crushed. Uh, whenever you have an extremity or a portion of the body that <laughs> you know, the blood is clamped off from, the waste is going to build up and we're worried about releasing that waste uh, back into the bloodstream uh, because that can change. It can drastically impact the pH of someone's blood by releasing a bunch of lactic acid. So in addition to getting IV fluids on board, we may also give something called sodium bicarbonate. Sodium bicarbonate is going to make them slightly alkalotic, which is the opposite of acidotic. So when we release them from whatever is causing this crush injury, basically the acidotic blood that was trapped 
behind this crush injury is going to meet the alkalotic blood and hopefully put them back into a normal pH range. Uh, this isn't something we'll typically wing on scene. We'll call OLMC or online medical control to do this. Um, but right. it is something uh, that uh, can be done in crush uh, scenarios. And then we're, we're very, very, very concerned with rhabdo and kidney function after this. Because one of the things that can happen is that as the kidneys fail, so can your blood pressure because your kidneys are actually used to regulate blood pressure. So, in victims of the crush syndrome, it's recommended right. that we administer IV fluids even before their extracting collapse. Just said that. Um, this will ensure sufficient circulating volume to deal with muscle cell swelling. So as those muscle cells swell, because you got to remember, they swell because they get full of fluid. Well, the fluid is going to have to come from somewhere else. It's not like your body just has extra store. Well, it does have extra stores of fluid, but that swelling is going to be pulling fluid from, uh, well, it's going to be pulling fluid from that just hangs around the cells called extracellular fluid, but it's also going to pull it out of your bloodstream. And that's going to decrease the overall volume. We've talked before about shock and how basically uh, you got a pump, you got a container, and you got a fluid flowing through it. If anything, if any one of those falters, you may not be able to maintain a blood pressure. So in this case, as we talked about earlier, you can have a, an excess buildup of sodium in rhabdomyolysis, and that'll cause the withdrawal of fluid from the bloodstream, lowering your blood volume and causing shock. Uh, right. And also this will prevent the uh, deposition of myoglobin in the kidneys as well by making sure they have that, uh, that volume. So, yeah, I mean, you could be seeing six to 12 liters over 24 hours. And how much blood do you have in your body? Uh, about 10. About five to six. Yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, liters. Sorry. Yeah, liters. Oh, you were going with uh, half liters. Or, yeah, half, yeah, liters. half liters. Oh, yeah, gotcha. well, yeah, you know. I was, going very... with, I was going with the 20 ounce bottles. You yeah. Know, I mean. <laughs> Very, that's, you know, that, that's a very common way to count in EMS. Right. <laughs> well, I know I use uh, Coke cans to know whether my ambulance can get over the center median or not. The size yeah. of the Coke cans too high. Um, <laughs> well, 6 to 12 liters is, I mean, it doesn't necessarily sound like a whole boatload because we talked about in the burn session how much they give for burn patients. Sure. But think about most of the time they give people 125 cc's an hour when they're trying right. to give fluid replacement. And so, I mean, over 24 hours, that's still only like two or three liters. Wait, shit. I've given 125 cc's by accident right. in like two minutes. <laughs> whoops. Whoops. Chris Frank says, paramedic extraordinaire, sir. <laughs> oh, come on. If there is a single paramedic out there that's done this longer than I would say a year. Enough, yeah. Yeah. It's all of a sudden look over back. Oh, that line's open. You got some fluid today. Or my favorite thing is uh, I call it an oxygen bolus. Uh, so... And, it, and I haven't done this in a long time because because uh, I did it too many times in my younger paramedic days. But uh, sometimes when you're when you when you're turning someone over to a hospital bed, let's say you have them on a nasal cannula and you're delivering oxygen that way. What you do is you turn the oxygen bottle off and then you disconnect it, move them over and then plug it into their oxygen. Well, sometimes if you turn it the wrong way, uh, you end up instead of taking it from maybe four liters per minute down to zero, you accidentally crank it from four to 25 <laughs> blasting through their nose. And I call that an oxygen bullet. Right, well, you're trying to fill up their sinus cavities so that during the transition, they have enough oxygen to get them through. Yeah, some bullshit like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the rate of the fluid administration uh, might be altered to achieve a high urine output. Uh, uh, two to three hundred mils per hour. Yeah, you just might as well just go take your IV and sit on the fucking toilet at that point. So unless there's other reasons that might lead to complication, though, <laughs> such as a history of heart failure. So that's the other right, thing well, too. Yeah, you got to be careful. Well, I was gonna say you got to be careful about that because you can overload 
uh, you know, because they talk about elderly patients and if they've fallen and they've been down for a period of time, this is why we insist these people go to the hospital. This is why we should be insisting these people go to the hospital is because of rhabdo and because of decubitus breakdowns. Is these people, they lay in the same position for many hours and then you get them up and start moving around. They're like, no, I feel fine until all those toxins start circulating back into the central system. And then you have a patient who's already sick. They have congestive heart failure. They have emphysema. They have all these other diseases. And so if they go in for rhabdo because of the fall, but then they get the 6 to 12 liters over 24 hours, it can create, you know, put them into congestive heart failure. Chaos! Yeah. I mean, and that's just bad, what they've told me. Right. Well, I mean, whatevs, but okay. Right. (laughs) So, um, earlier I was saying an emotional crush. Yeah. And what I was thinking was uh, the broken heart syndrome. Ooh. Have you ever heard of this? Uh-uh. Uh, it has a Japanese name. I can't remember the Japanese name. But the Japanese name is... Uh, is taken from it, a... It's not Kawasaki's, is it? What, Kawasaki is a... Uh, I know it's a motorcycle, but it's actually I think it's actually a name of a disease, too. Yeah, it may be. I don't remember. But basically, this is... A uh, heart problem, that a temporary heart condition that's brought on by stressful situations such as the death of a loved one. Uh, the condition can be triggered by a serious illness or injury. Uh, they have chest pain. They think they're having a heart attack. Uh, it's a temporary disruption of your heart's normal pumping function in one of the uh, in one area of the heart. Uh, Tacostubo. That's it. It's all yeah. Tacostubo cardiomyopathy. Right. I had like Takasaki stuck in my head. Pretty uh, close. I, I want to say there's Kawasaki disease though. I think there is. I wouldn't doubt it. Kawasaki syndrome. There it is. There you go. Uh, so here, the rate of the heart functions normally with, uh, or with even more forceful contractions. The broken heart syndrome is caused by the heart's reaction to a surge of stress hormones. You know, so so it's Kawasaki. Uh, it's a skin disease. Nothing to do with the heart whatsoever. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, we've talked about earlier about extreme exercise, and I believe we brought up CrossFit. Extreme. Sorry. <laughs> Every single time I hear see, the, see or hear the word extreme, I think of a uh, – oh, what is it? Harold and uh, Kumar? Yes. Yeah, Harold and Kumar. <laughs> yeah, this guy's – they're trying to do the extreme canoeing in the Minute Mart. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's basically – if you haven't seen the movie, there's basically a scene where these guys are using canoes – and they're all about extreme sports, and so they're trying to canoe on top of the aisles that have been at Mart. They're just knocking everything over. Yeah, they like, yeah, they like throw him along the top, and he's got his paddle out. And um, I'm having, I'm assuming that a majority of our listenership probably have seen Harold and Kumar. <laughs> I may be wrong. You never know. Could so, happen. yes. So uh, CrossFit has been connected with, and even uh, the um, person who uh, invented CrossFit has uh, admitted there's a connection here, you know, if not, if the workout is not done properly. Um, you know, and we say, you know, muscle muscle soreness and uh, weakness after a workout. And you, you know, I, I get that. We all do. That's not a bad thing if things are, if your workout's being done properly. Uh, in fact, if you're working out and you're not getting a little bit sore, then you're probably not working out hard enough. Mm. Kind of like if you're, if you're skiing or snowboarding and you don't fall, you know, you're not really challenging you yourself. You ain't doing it right. Because <laughs> let me tell you, even Spencer, uh, Spencer's actually a, a fairly good snowboarder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do remember one distinct part where we're going up the mountain. And, and I already had, I mean, this is, so I was probably 
So I start, I remember everything after about halfway through my second run, but things weren't clear until our second run up a, uh, might've been our first, but it was a run up the, what they call a magic mile. And it's just a very long, but otherwise pretty mellow, uh, run, but you can get going pretty fast. And the only real difference between this and any other soap we did is that the consequences of screwing up are a little bigger. In other words, probably just like there's rocks. Mm-hmm. Like it's not trees anymore where, you know, you're going to hit some branches first. You're just going to hit rocks and just, um, and so, yeah, so there's rocks and then there's just like off the mountain. And so uh, we were going about halfway up that and I looked down and all of a sudden I realized I'm like, you know what? This is kind of beyond my skill level. <laughs> but, uh, but will I guess. They let, will they let you ride the, uh, the lift back down? Oh yeah. Just don't get off. Okay. <laughs> but oh, yeah, just, just let it circle, circle back down. And I considered it, but then I'm like, you know what? I would never live that down. So we're up there. Oh, you're, we actually ran. You're never going to live down getting knocked out and not getting medical help. Yeah. And <laughs> could you imagine like adding that to the pile? So, um, I mean, that I can deal with, but being called a wuss, no. <laughs> um, so, and we were actually going up with some guys from a, another local uh uh, ambulance company that happened to be up there as well. It wasn't like coordinator like, oh, hey, hey let's all go up. And the first thing I do is I just eat shit right off the lift. <laughs> just poof, like that. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be a fun ride down for you. I'm like, yeah, you know. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, CrossFit. So, what they found out, the type of uh, workouts that cause rhabdo are using light loads for many, uh, many, many repetitions in a long, uh, in a long, longer workout is usually the culprit. So I think this is why CrossFit is probably kind of becoming uh, related to this because that is a lot more of what CrossFit does. CrossFit's not powerlifting; it's doing lighter reps over and over and over again. So performing many reps of one uh, uh, of one movement in a row without changing movements or resting can also be a factor. Heavy lifting generally does not cause rhabdo, so the powerlifters aren't seeing these problems. The reason being is that lifting heavy loads forces you to stop before severe muscle breakdown occurs because you're going to hit that point much quicker. Yeah. So, for example, performing five sets of five squats with a heavy load is not a workout that's going to carry a real high ra- or any really appreciable rando risk. However, performing one set of 100 squats as quickly as you can possibly do them with a light load is going to carry a rando risk with that. Okay. So... You know, it's, um, yeah, they're finding that men traditionally have a higher rate risk of rhabdo than women, but as more women get into, uh, CrossFit and everything like that, uh, they're expecting to see a rise in female, uh, rhabdomyolysis. Oh, sweet. Uh, occurrence. <laughs> yeah. It's time to step up, ladies. Come on. Get some <laughs> rhabdo. You didn't like your kidneys anyway. Uh, then, as I was talking about earlier, if you have if you go from a period of inactivity or decreased activity due to just not working out, so somebody who's been very fit in the past and has taken six months off, you know, must ramp up slowly uh, as they return to the intense exercise. Uh, the problem is, is that if you were in really good shape six months ago, but you took six months off for whatever reason, you go back, you're like, oh, I can do this, I got this, you know, and then you jump right back in the middle of it, and your body's not ready for it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and there's not necessarily any one specific movement that does cause rhabdo. It's just doing the same movement over and over and over again. Okay. <laughs> What's going on? 
I'm just surprised there's not more teenagers with right arm injuries and rhabdomyolysis. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought about that. And I'm thinking it's because you don't have the extreme length of time. <laughs> it's like doing the power lifting. They're finishing before any real long-term damage can be done. <laughs> and for anyone that's offended, you know what show you listen to. And we mark, <laughs> and we mark explicit on every episode. So I think that's all I have on Rabdo on that note. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything else, Chris? I'm spent. <laughs> oh, well, my, I'm Mark. That's Chris. It's been fun talking to you. Don't get me wrong. This is the climax of the show. <laughs> oh. All right. All right. Oh, good Lord. I'm done. So. I'm done. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, you're done. Yeah. Are you getting a little sensitive about it? <clears throat> I'm just saying, let's clean this up, Mark. <laughs> so, uh, you can reach us online. We're on. Uh, what do you say that? What do you say you can reach us online? It's like, it's, it, it's reminiscent to me of like, to be like, we have a website. You know, like, anyway. We do. It's uh, www. <laughs> it's http colon slash slash medical stuff dot simplecast dot fm. That's our website. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you were also on Twitter at Medside Stuff, M E D S I D E S T U F F. We're on Instagram at Medical Stuff 52. We're on Facebook uh, at Medical Stuff. Yeah, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at MedSideStuff at Yahoo.com. And please do send us those emails, send us those messages because we're getting some really good ideas from our listeners about further episodes. Yeah, we're thinking about actually checking that email. Yeah, at least <laughs> once. No. Um, we keep getting compliments on Facebook on how fast we respond. We do. We do. We do actually respond pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, mainly because there's only been five of you up to this point, so we're still excited about it. But and, and I'll say this like it's a good thing. When when you do get a response for the medical stuff on Facebook, it's actually uh, either Mike and I, Mark and I, because we make zero dollars in this and we're not popular enough to have people to do that for us. No, we are not. Yeah. Someday so. it'll just be a bot or just some nameless person pretending to be us. But right now you're actually getting <laughs> Thank us. Thank you for contacting us. Yeah. So great. <laughs> So, um, that's all I have. That's all Chris has, I believe. Yeah. So we will talk to you soon. Listen in. Remember to, uh, please give us five star reviews. If you feel we're worthy of it on iTunes, that helps us out. Tell all your friends, talk us up, lie if you have to. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think Chris is okay with that. So <laughs> whatever it takes at this point, y'all have a good week. We'll talk to you uh, next Monday. Yep. Toast. Toast.